Welcome, welcome, welcome. Shalom, everyone. I hope you're having an awesome, awesome evening tonight. So tonight we're getting into a topic that is very, very important, very interesting. The topic of atonement, blood, and what what purpose or what role does blood have to play in our atonement? So uh, get ready to be asked, you know, ask as many questions as, as you want and as many comments as you want, because um, it's going to be very, very interesting. And if any of you have any friends or family members that might want to tune in and have a listen, I encourage you to send them a message right now just to say, hey, check out this live stream. Let me know what you think or just, you know, whatever. Just share the live stream. Let's get some conversation rolling here. Speaking of the live stream, let's see what we got in the live chat. In the chat tonight, we have 1 John 2.26 says, Shalom, good evening. Shalom, good evening to you. Calamento says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, good to see you. JC says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, JC, good to see you. Okay, awesome. So, Let's get into this. This is uh, Leviticus chapter 17. Uh, like We're on Leviticus chapter 17 right now in our daily scripture readings. And so this is a very, very important uh, passage of scripture because a lot of Christians, they really put a lot of emphasis on one of the verses in this chapter uh, in regards to salvation. Amber says, Shalom. Shalom, Amber. Welcome. Good to see you. Okay, let's get into this. This is Leviticus chapter 17. Let's read through it. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons and all and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, what man soever there be of the house of Israel that kills an ox or a lamb or goat in the camp or that kills it out of the camp and brings it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer an offering unto the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood shall be imputed unto that man. He has shed blood. And that man shall be cut off from among his people. So it's very, very important here. It says here, basically, if you're going to slaughter an animal, make sure you slaughter it at the, at the tabernacle so that it, it can be used uh, properly. Not just do it on your own for whatever reason, but to do it in the proper place. Verse 5. To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, even that they may bring them unto the Lord, unto the door of the tabernacle of, of the congregation, unto the priest, and offer them for peace offerings unto the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and burn the fat for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils, after whom they had they have gone whoring. This shall be a statute forever unto them throughout their generations. And you shall say unto them, Whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers which sojourn among you, that offers a burnt offering or sacrifice, and brings it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer it to the Lord, 
Even that man shall be cut off from among his people. And just stop here for a second. Now, this is the this is the concept when you are going to uh, offer a, an animal uh, in according to the law. Here, you have to do it in the proper place. Can't just do it wherever you want to do it. You have to do it in the proper place. Uh, and so, this is. Uh, this is the reason why Jews, Jews today do not offer animal sacrifices because the proper place isn't ready. Uh, you know, the temple was, was destroyed and so they don't really have a proper place. And so they cannot fulfill the Torah even in offering animal sacrifices because just offering the sacrifices alone without, without doing it in the proper place is unacceptable. So they need both of those elements, not only the animal sacrifices to be done, but also the proper place, which they don't have. Verse 10. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eat some any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it uh, to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Just want to highlight here, it's talking about an atonement. It's not talking about the atonement. Okay, it's very, very, very important to understand this. Uh, It doesn't say that the blood is the only way to make atonement for your souls. It is one of the ways. That is why it says, uh, it, 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 basically, I've given it to you, the blood, uh, upon the altar, not just anywhere, but upon the altar, to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Now, again, before we read on here, just to, just to remind you, we have read up to this point, there's been many, many different things that says it makes atonement for the soul, right? We have read about how even prayer itself can make atonement for the soul, that the um, uh, money for, what would you call it? The like giving alms according to the Torah. And that's the reason why what it says in the Torah, giving alms makes an atonement for the soul and will call up your name as a remembrance before the Lord. And that's what happened exactly in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. He was a Gentile, wasn't a Jew, but he was giving alms. He was, you know, the money, the, the atonement money, so to speak. Uh, and uh, and because of that, it says that he, uh, his name was brought up as a rem- as a. Um, remembrance before the Lord in direct fulfillment of the Torah. Now, this is after the crucifixion. This is after the resurrection, the ascension. This is in quote unquote New Testament times. Very important to understand that as well. There are many different things. Okay. Remember we read there in Leviticus chapter five. If you don't, uh, you can bring a lamb to make atonement. If, if you don't have a lamb, bring birds if you don't have if you don't have the resources for those, uh, then bring fine flour, flour, just flour, uh, to bring to make atonement. Okay, and that flour doesn't have any blood in it, right? So uh, it says here that blood makes an atonement for the soul. It's not the only way. We've read throughout the all the way up until this point, and we we know throughout the rest of the Tanakh as well that there are many different um, places where it says that. Repentance 
is really the bottom line. If you repent, he will forgive you. If you don't repent, you won't be forgiven. If you repent of your sin, God will look at you as if you've never, ever sinned. That's in Ezekiel chapter 18. Okay. Um, we got the prophet Jonah that was pre- preaching in Nineveh, not a Jewish city. It was an Assyrian city. And it says the entire city repented and God forgave their sin. Did not punish them as he planned. Okay. He basically he changed his mind. Why did God change his mind? Because the people changed their mind. And that's just part of the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 30. You turn from your sin, you do what's right, and God will turn from his plan to destroy you, to send confusion upon you, to send pestilence, plague, and war, and all kinds of problems upon you. So there's another case of people who have received forgiveness, atonement, without the shedding of blood. There was no high priest. It wasn't Jerusalem. It was in the city of Nineveh. There was no temple there, nobody making sacrifices for them. All they did was repent. And according to the word of God, according to the word of God, God forgave them of their sin. So that's why it says here that the blood is an atonement, not the only, but an atonement. Let me just read this one more time, then we'll continue to the end of the chapter. So here we are again, verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Therefore, I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourns among you eat blood. And whoever, uh, whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you, which hunts and catches any beast or fowl that may be eaten, uh, he shall even pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is for the life of uh, thereof. Therefore, I said unto the children of Israel, you shall, you shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is, in, is the blood thereof. Whosoever eats it shall be cut off. And every soul that eats it, that eats that which dies of itself, in other words, it's not slaughtered properly, and the blood is not drained properly, or that which was torn with beasts, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger, he shall uh, both wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. Uh, Then shall he be clean. But if he wash, if he wash them not, nor bathe his flesh, then he shall bear his iniquity. Okay, so let, let's let's just kind of back up here. So we see that the whole context of this particular portion of scripture is about eating blood, being forbidden. Okay, uh, it starts out by saying that um, in verse ten, uh, that whoever eats any manner of blood, uh, God will set his face against that soul that eats blood and cut off his soul from uh, among his people. And then he explains, well, the blood is for, uh, blood is the life of the flesh, okay? Um, and also, uh, it is uh, one of the ways or one of the one of the elements of, of atonement here. It, may, it makes atonement, makes an atonement 
for your souls. And then he goes on again, the whole rest of the chapter is about eating blood. Um, and so really in context, the topic of this particular portion of scripture is really, it's a di it's part of the dietary laws, right? It, it's part about, it, it's really all about eating blood. Oh, the uh, God forbidding uh, such such a thing, right? To eat blood. That's what it's about. It's not about how to save your soul. It's not about making an atonement, okay? It mentions that the blood is one of the elements that can make an atonement for your soul. However, it doesn't, this whole particular passage is not about that. The problem with many Christians today is they focus on this particular passage, especially verse 11, to uh, as a as a point uh, for their for their salvation message. Their salvation message is that blood makes atonement for your souls. Therefore, uh, it was the blood that was shed upon the cross that makes atonement for your soul, period, because that's just the way it works. You need blood to make atonement for your soul. As if blood is some kind of commodity, some kind of payment system. Like, okay, you've sinned now, now you've got to pay by shedding blood, right? Um, and that is also not necessarily the case. Now, many people in the Jewish world would, would tell you, now I mentioned the Jewish people because they have spent a whole lot more time studying the the Torah, they've, they've spent a whole lot more time studying this portion of scripture than Christians, most Christians have ever had done in their life. And they would tell you that, you know, there are different means of atonement, which that is true. There are different ways to make atonement for your soul. Um, blood being one of them, not the only one. And that is true as well. We read that throughout the Tanakh. And they would also tell you that that this portion of scripture is about is about basically the dietary laws, not about uh, atonement, uh, and and that's very very important to understand. And that blood is the least effective way to make uh, to make an atonement for your soul. And you would say, why would somebody say that? Why would anybody say, well, blood is the least effective way, the least effective means for atonement? Well, it's because of what God said many times throughout the Tanakh. And I want to show you guys a few things before we get in uh, to uh, before we get into talking a little bit more deeper here. But uh, let me see here. We got Psalm 94 on YouTube says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Psalm 94. Good to see you. Vinny says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Vinny. Welcome, guys. Good to see you. So let's let's look at a few different passages of Scripture and let's kind of think about what we're reading here. Because according to the modern Christian narrative, blood is like a payment system, right? You sin, now somebody's got, it has to be bloodshed somewhere. I mean, that's the way, that's the way I've been taught. That's the way I've heard it. That's the way probably most, if not all of you have heard it, that, that, that very same thing. It's like, it's like, go, it's like, that's the way to pay for sin is blood. But there's a lot of different passages 
that seems to suggest otherwise. Let me show you some. Let me show you some of these passages. This is Isaiah chapter sixty-six, talking about true worship, verse one. It says, "The Lord said, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where, what kind of house could you build for me? What in what? Uh, excuse me. In what place will I rest?" Wow, that's a very powerful thing right now. Yeah. I have made everything, and that's how it all came to be. I, the Lord, have spoken. The people I treasure most are the humble. They depend only on me and tremble when I speak. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to be a person who depends only on God and tremble when when he speaks? That's what he wants. Verse 3, you sacrifice oxen to me, you commit murder. You sacrifice lambs to me and dogs to other gods. You offer grain to me and pig's blood to idols. You burn incense to me and praise your idols. Okay, so what's God, what's God trying to say to them right now? God is trying to say, You think that the animal sacrifice, you think that the blood is a way to pay for your sin. You think you can keep on sinning. You think you can keep on doing these things, such as, like it says here, murdering, committing murder. Because why? Oh, you know, hey, I I offer my sacrifices. I, I, you know, the blood covers me. Just like how a lot of people believe today. Oh, the blood covers me. I'm under the blood, right? I believe in the crucifixion. I'm under the blood. I can do whatever I want. As these people, they sacrifice gods to other dogs to other gods, and they still sacrifice lambs to the Lord. Why would they still sacrifice lambs to the Lord? Hey, you know what? I'll 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 appease the other gods, but I'll 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 also appease God. You know, I know it's not right what I'm doing, sacrificing dogs to other gods. I know that's not right, but hey. I'm covering my sin. I, you know, I'm sacri- I'm bringing my sacrificial lamb. I'm bringing, I'm bringing my spotless lamb to the Lord, and that covers it. That covers it. They offer pig's blood to idols, and they think it covers it. Be- that they uh, that they offer grain to the Lord. They they bring their uh, they bring their offerings to God. God says, "You burn incense to me," and again, this is a picture of. Prayer, okay. Today, not so much incense, but prayer, right? We read in the book of Revelation that incense is a symbol of prayer. In other words, God says, You pray to me, but you praise your idols. Idols. In the um, footnotes, you sacrifice oxen, uh, idols, or sacrifice oxen to me in the same is the same as murder. Sacrificing lambs to me is the same as sacrificing dogs to other gods. Offering grain to me is the same as offering pig's blood to idols. And burning incense to me is the same as praising idols. Okay, So there's a totally different way of of interpreting it, totally different way of of looking at it. Regardless of the fact, um, we got a few things here. Here to, to point out. Um, number one is this. 
God is not impressed with sacrifice, with blood. Okay, he's not. He's not. He's not impressed with that. No matter which way you want to interpret this, he's not impressed with blood. Basically, he's saying the blood doesn't cover you. Whether you interpret it the way it, it's spelled out here, or interpret it as other um, translations, excuse me, uh, translate it, it. No matter which way you cut it, it means the same. That God is not looking. The blood does not cover it. Does not cover these things, as people think. Okay. You have made your own choice to do these disgusting things that you that you enjoy so much. You refused to answer when I called out when I called out. You paid no attention to my instructions, instructions again, uh, Torah, basically, the law. You paid no attention to it. Instead, you did what I hated, knowing, knowing it was wrong. Now I will punish you in a way you dread the most. Wow, that's a that's a promise of God that you don't you won't read in the you know in today's um, you know God's promises books that you can get at the you know bookstore anymore. That's a promise of God that nobody wants to claim. So this is just one of many things. Again, let's just ruminate on this for a minute because this is so very important. This is talking about. This is talking about salvation. This is talking about atonement. So if this is true, and you know it is true, it's the word of God, it's, it's from the book of Isaiah, that God does not accept the blood of the sacrifice because of their sin, then think about this for a second. God is telling them that, their sac that the blood of their sacrifice does not pay for their sin, does not cover their sin. That's what he's telling them. The blood is not some kind of commodity you can use to pay for ongoing sin. Think of it this way, before we read any more passages, and we'll, we will read several of them, but think of it this way. Let's say I tell you, hey, there's a store over here, okay? I want you to go in. And I want you to buy me who I am a bottle of water, okay? I want you to buy me a bottle of water. Here, use these tokens to buy me a bottle of water. Say, so, hey, these tokens, is that gonna pay for it? Yeah, yeah, it pays for it. Don't worry about it. These tokens are good enough, okay? You you go get the get the bottle of water, take it to the cash, and use these tokens to pay for it. Okay, okay. And you go there, you get the bottle of water, you go to the, the you go to the cash and they look at the tokens and say, um, no, we're not accepting these. There's a problem. One of two things. It's only two things. Only one of two things here. It's either I lied, saying that these tokens are acceptable and they will pay for the water, saying that these tokens will cover the cost. It's either I lied or the store is lying. There's no other way to cut it. No other way to cut it. So, if a pastor, evangelist, tells you the blood covers your sins, and we got God here saying, mm -mm -mm -mm, I'm rejecting it. There's only one of two things here. It's either that evangelist, that preacher, that pastor is not telling you the truth, or God is not telling you the truth. 
You hear me? It's like, if the pastor tells you that the blood covers your sins, the blood pays for your sins, and Jesus paid it all on the cross, and God says that the blood does not cover your sins because you haven't repented, he doesn't accept the sacrifice. He doesn't accept that sacrifice. There's one of two things. It's either the person who tells you that it is acceptable, that it, it is payment, lies to you, or it's God himself that lies to you. And I'm, I don't think God would, would lie to you. Let's read a few more things. Okay, so that's Isaiah chapter 66. Let's read Micah chapter 6. Now, these are the words of the Lord, okay? These, this, these, this is the word of God. Oh, my people, this is verse 3. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. Hmm, that's a challenge by God, isn't it? Wow, testify against me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered, answered him from, uh, Acacia, from Acacia Grove in Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the most or the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Thousands of rams. Okay. This is, this is like, okay, I want to make sure, I want to make sure that the pay, we, we pay in full and, and then some, okay? We want to make sure we pay in full and then some. Let's not bring one ram for sacrifice. Let's bring thousands. But the question is, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my tra transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Okay, so this is it right here. This is the answer. What does God say here? Remember, this is the so-called Old Testament. God did not say, first and foremost, he did not say, bring your lamb sacrifice for the blood covers your sin. That's what he requires of you. Make sure that you that the blood is shed for your sin. You've sinned. You've got. You, you, there must be payment because I am a just God. That's not what he said. What does he require of these sinful people? What does he require here? Number one, to do justly. That word just, just in the Hebrew, the root of it is uh, siddiq, or to be righteous, to do what is righteous is what that really means. Okay, do what's right according to the word of God, to love mercy. Okay, now in the footnotes here, it says, or loving kindness, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Period. That's it. That's it. He doesn't ask for blood here. 
Let's continue. Isaiah chapter 1. Again, it says, verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Wait a second. Sodom was long gone, wasn't it? Sodom was long gone here. Well, Isaiah was addressing people like Sodom. Rulers like the rulers of Sodom. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, O people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. Ah, what? What? Lord, I thought I thought that this is what you're all about, right? You're a just God and, and you, you know, the blood has to be shed and something has to die, right? Something has to pay the price for sin. That's not what it says. God says, you think, what are you, what the multitude of your sacrifices? In other words, these people that are like Sodom, that are being referred to as the Sodomite, Sodoms and uh, people of Sodom, people of Gomorrah, rulers of Sodom, people of Gomorrah. These people, obviously they were uh, sinful people. And they were, they were offering multitude of sacrifices. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Apparently, they thought the sacrifices covered their sins. They thought that that would make an atonement for them. They thought that's what God wanted, right? For you to, to find a means of payment for your sin. Now think about how that would relate to Christianity today. Because Christianity today says that Jesus' crucifixion is a direct fulfillment of the sacrificial law. We're reading the sacrificial law right now. We're reading about how the sacrifices worked in the so-called Old Testament. This is the problem. A lot of Christians don't know how the sacrificial system worked. They, they, it's just so overly simplified, it's just not even true. So God is rebuking these people. You rulers of Sodom, you people of Gomorrah. Well, that, that should tell you a lot right there. How What kind of, like, the degree, the seriousness of sin that they were engaged in. And he's, the first thing he says is, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? In other words, I don't care about your sacrifices. I don't care about the blood. Basically what he's saying, what are they to me? <laughs> you think about it. You think about how God is responding here. He, could, he did not say, he could have, but he did not say, Blessed, blessed rulers of Sodom. And oh, I just bless and love you and bless you, you people of Gomorrah. You have covered your sin. You know my law and the sacrificial system. In spite of your sin, you have shed the blood of, you have brought your sacrifices and now you are covered. Hallelujah. You are atoned for. You, you've, you have salvation because the blood covers your sin. Can you imagine Christians standing before God on Judgment Day and they're going and they're like, "Hey, we believe in the crucifixion, the blood of Christ." Can you imagine if, 
Can you imagine the father saying to them, the what's that to me? The multitude of your faith in the sacrifice, in the sacrifice, what's that to me? Obviously, the Lord here in this context, Isaiah chapter 1, he's a little bit perturbed. He's a little bit irked. Obviously, these sacrifices did not cover their sin, did not pay for their sin. Obviously, in this context, the blood did not wash their sins away. Let's read on. Again, verse 11. God says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have had, I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fatted animal, fatted, fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you, when you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. So what's going on here? See, they're trampling his courts. How are they trampling his courts? This is the charge that God has brought against these people. Trampling his courts. What, are the, what does he mean by that? In context, they're trampling his courts by their sin. Just like how it says in Hebrews, when you sin willfully, it's like trampling the blood. Okay? It's a serious thing. They're sinning willfully. They're engaged in willful sin, sin thinking that they're covered. Again, God says, stop bringing, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. It, you're... So what does that mean today? How, how can we apply this today? God's saying, your prayers are detestable to me. What? The prayers of those who believe in the blood? The prayers of those who put their faith in the sacrifice? Yep. Why? Because they've not repented. Because they are still in sin. New moon, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. What's this mean, assemblies? Today, church. Can you hear God saying that today to a lot of these churches, especially these churches that are just steeped in sin and not only allow sin, but promote it? Can you hear God say that today? I cannot bear your worthless church services, churchianity. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. Oh my, that is powerful words, people. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Wow. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine being in that position? Can you imagine hearing God say that to you? Wow. Like, but 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 Lord, I I believe in the sacrifice and I'm covered by the blood. Um, excuse me. I can I can just hear God saying, "Listen, 
you are still in your sin. You, you're, you have not repented from your sin. You think you can sin and you think you're covered. God is so, so fed up. He says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, there's a dramatic you know, picture of someone who is passionately praying. God says, I'll hide my eyes from you. Ooh, that hurts. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's the bottom line right there. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Again, this word justice is not so much what we think of it as today, but in the original Hebrew, it's talking about righteousness. Seek to do what is right in the eyes of God. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as crimson, they shall be like wool. But this particular verse, Isaiah 1.18, a lot of Christians quote that, but they take it completely out of context. They take it completely out of context because they quote that to try to call people forward to the altar to get them to accept Jesus. Yet these people who come forward to the altar are still not clean when they walk away. They go right back to their evil deeds. They do not stop doing wrong. Okay, so it's, this is taken right out of context in in the Christian in many Christian circles. If you are willing, there's a condition, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Okay, let me see. We got... um, 1 John 2.26 says the Catholic Catechism says that a miracle occurs at each Mass during communion. The host and wine become the literal body and blood of Christ. Yes, that is what they they believe. Jordan says, Shalom, brother. Shalom, Jordan. Welcome. Good to see you. Mark as well. Welcome, Mark. Good to see you. And Paulina, welcome. Shalom. Good to see you. Um, Paulina, aren't we supposed to eat animal fat according to Leviticus 7.24? Let me see what we got here on Leviticus 7.24. Leviticus 7.24 says, And the fat of the beast that dies of itself, uh, in other words, it's not slaughtered properly, the blood is not drained, and the fat of that which is torn with beasts may be used 
in any other use, but you shall in no wise eat it, eat of it. So basically like that fat can be used for, you know, stuff like some of the things they used uh, fat for back in those days, you know, like, uh, like candles or that kind of thing, you know, um, w different, all kinds of different things uh, that you could use fat for, um, just not eat of it. According to that, thank you for the question there, Paulina. All right, so um, very, very powerful portion there. Let's read Proverbs 15, verse 8. The Lord detests, detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. So again, let's just, let's just, Park here for just a minute, okay? Think about this for a minute. According to how many people are taught today, that sacrifice is payment for your sin. In other words, the, the way a lot of people believe today is that if you're wicked, if you're just, you know, you're, you're a dirty, filthy, rotten, stinking sinner, all you got to do is just, you know, say the sinner's prayer and believe in the sacrifice all you got to do is just put your faith in the ultimate sacrifice and you are saved. And they don't believe that anybody is upright. They don't believe that anybody is righteous. But it says here, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked. So in other words, you think about it, even back in those days, right? When they brought animal sacrifices to the temple, you, it was not acceptable to bring sacrifice to the temple if you're wicked. The sacrifice of the wicked is detestable. In another translation, it says, is an abomination. So the question remains, if, and I would ask any honest Christian here, if it's true the way most Christians are taught that sacrifice covers sin, that the blood covers sin, if that's true, then why would God still hold it against the wicked? What, what, is, what is God saying here? He is basically saying that the sacrifice of the wicked is, is, is unacceptable. It's, it, it doesn't cover their sin. It doesn't atone for their sins. He detests it. It doesn't please him. They do not get atonement from sacrifice. And this is the reason why we see so much of it all the way from, well, I mean, right from the very beginning, actually, but you know, explicitly in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 10, in um, Ezekiel chapter 18, Ezekiel chapter 33, and uh, many other places throughout the scriptures, uh, all you got to do is just turn from your sin, and God will forgive you. 1 Kings chapter 8, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, without any mention of sacrifice. Just turn from your sin and God will accept you. God will forgive you. So here, as we see in, I don't know how many times, scores of times, if not hundreds of times, throughout the Proverbs and the Psalms, by the way, there is, there is um, there's a contrast here. Put between the wicked and the upright or the righteous. Okay. 
the wicked and the righteous. Let's just check out this particular um, verse in other Bible translations. This is Proverbs 15. Um, so let me see here. Proverbs 15, verse 8. And we'll check it out in other Bible translations. Okay, so the King James, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Right, same with the New King James. Uh, and I mean, he detests the sacrifice of the wicked. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. Right. So we have we have a contrast between the wicked and the upright. God accepts the sacrifice of the upright, the righteous, but not of the wicked. What does that tell you? So why would the righteous have why would the righteous people come to sacrifice? Again, in many cases, especially like according to Leviticus chapter 4, Leviticus chapter 5, the sacrifice covers unintentional sin. So the, uh, the, the righteous people, the upright people who, you know, maybe they've sinned unintentionally. It's a mistake. They didn't know what, you know, they didn't know any better or just, it, it just happened and, you know, beyond their control. Um, they weren't aware of it. The sacrifice covers that. But the wicked who is stubbornly wicked, no repentance, according to this, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. So we also see that in Proverbs chapter 21, 21 verse 27, that is. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent. Right? So it's unacceptable according to the ways of God, the law of God, when it comes to the laws of sacri the, the so-called sacrificial laws, it's unacceptable for a wicked person to come forward with a sacri with the sacrifice. It's unacceptable. It's detestable, it's an abomination. Again, According to Christian, modern Christian um, evangelical preaching, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. So, using that logic, it's, un, it's unacceptable for someone who's wicked to believe that Yeshua died for their sins or was their sacrifice if they have, if they've never repented, you know, even the, uh, even the apostle Paul said, if, if, if Jesus died for your sins, then, then you should be living unto righteousness. Okay. How can you live in your sins if he died for your sins? So, that's the problem with a lot of Christians today. They, they believe that everything's all covered because of their faith. Well, you know, I, I said the sinner's prayer. I, you know, I, I put my faith in the ultimate sacrifice and I'm covered. Well, if you haven't repented, 
If you don't walk in repentance, then I dare say, according to the word of God, you're not covered. You're not covered. Again, Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Jesus shows us a picture of what will happen on Judgment Day. A lot of people, he said many, many people will come to him on that day, on Judgment Day. And he will reject them. They come to the Lord. They profess him as Lord. They say, Lord, Lord. They have faith. They have lots of faith. They have faith to work miracles. They have faith to cast out demons. They have faith to prophesy. Most, most Christians don't have faith to cast out demons or prophesy. But these people did. Jesus didn't deny any of that. But he said very clearly, he will reject these people because of their lawlessness, because they did not live according to the law of God. Their anomianism. In the, in the Greek, it's anomia, anomian, meaning that you live like there is no law. There's no law. There's no Torah in you. There's no Torah about you. You live Torah-less without the namos, according to um, Greek. The Greek namos is the uh, Greek for Torah. Okay, So anomos or anomian is the negative to Torah. So that's kind of like the expounded, unfolded um, promise of the Lord, uh, fulfillment of this particular verse, uh, Proverbs 21, 27. This, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? All right. Let's check out something else. And this is something that a lot of people are familiar with, but they don't really connect the dots when it comes to this. 1 Samuel 15, 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Okay, so what's, what's the context here? What's the context here? Actually, you know what we should do? Just, just for the sake of it. That's just, just for the sake of it. More of this, just so we can really get a good idea of what happened here. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord has sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. There's, there's the command of the Lord right there. Utterly destroy all that they have. And do not, do not spare them. Right? Do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey, everything. Just wipe them everything out. Like a nuke, just like a nuke. Nuke them. Okay. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Talim. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city 
of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, part, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you show kindness, you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the and the people spared Agag and the and the best of the sheep the oxen the fatlings the lambs and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them but everything despised and and worthless they uh, that that they utterly destroyed so what happened here let me just stop here for a second cuz this this is important because Christians do this today in a different way. They do this, they do this. It's like God says, give, give up, you know, uh, for example, give up going to the club. Preach the gospel. Well, what do they do? Well, they preach the gospel, but they don't give up going to the club because they say, hmm, well, I like going to the club. So... What I'll do then is I'll just go to the club and I'll preach the gospel at the club. But God said, don't go. Give that up. Sacrifice that part of your life and go preach the gospel. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of Christians that they compromise. A lot of compromise. And this is what Saul did here. He compromised. He's like, hmm, Agag, uh, keep him alive. Maybe I don't know exactly what, what the reason was. Maybe he was... Maybe he was, I don't know, maybe he was a cool king. Maybe Saul liked him. And he, and he kept the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. He kept everything that was good, and he destroyed the rest. It's like he almost like coveted. It's like he didn't want to do away with everything because he kind of coveted it, you know, coveted that which was good. It's like God saying, okay, you got, you, you idolize something, get rid of it, destroy it all. And a lot of Christians would just destroy some of it and keep others, right? Keep, like, maybe maybe the Lord might say to you, get rid of your secular music collection. And what do people do? They go through the music collection and just get rid of the stuff they don't like that much. But they keep the stuff they do like. They keep the best of, sec of the secular music and they try to make an excuse for it. Well, that helps me think about God somehow. So Saul compromised here. He didn't sacrifice all. And he made an excuse for it. It's very important because we, we see Christians today doing the same thing in many different ways. Many Christians do the same thing in many different ways. Verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel. So it's like God's, God's like, okay, we got to deal with this now. Saul is not doing what I told him to do. He, so the, the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel that he 
and he cried out to the Lord all night. That's very passionate. I mean, Samuel was very, very passionate. He took it very, very seriously, right? Very, very seriously. Verse 12. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Yeah, it reminds me. You know, people are like that, right? Saul put on a good show, didn't he? He presented very well. Oh, I bless God. Oh, I love God. Oh, I'm, I'm obeying God. It's like a lot of Christians... Same thing, same way. Oh, I bless God. Oh, I love God. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I believe in God. Oh, I go to church. Oh, I pray a lot. Oh, I read my Bible. Yeah, but did you really sacrifice what God does? Did you really give your all to God? I mean, really give you give your all, or or did you keep some and make excuses? Well, I'm I kept this because you know um uh, you know I, I'm I'm doing it for God. I kept this because I'm using this item for 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 the for the will of God. I I I kept these particular items or these particular um, this particular uh, not lifestyle, but this particular thing that I like to do. I didn't I didn't sacrifice that because I I instead I'm going to redeem it for God. I'm, I'm doing it. But for God, you see, it's the wrong, it's the wrong, uh, it's the wrong intent. They're not doing it. They're doing it for themselves. They're doing it. It's a selfish thing. They're doing it because they like to do it, and they add God to it. They add God to it. A lot of, you know, a lot of um, churches are like this, right? A lot of pastors are like this. They preach a worldly, secular, fleshly sermon kind of thing. It's all about blessing you, making you feel good, and giving you butterflies in your stomach. But they just drizzle it with scripture to make it look good. That's not what God wants. He's calling for utter sacrifice. Complete all. Like, Lord of all or not at all. Lord of all or not at all. So, Samuel, Samuel's like saying to, uh, Saul said to Samuel, like, blessed are you of the Lord. Oh, here, here comes Samuel. Oh, Samuel, you are blessed of God. You know, I, I, I did what God commanded me to do. Really, Saul? Really? Verse 14. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen, which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Alamachite. Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Oh, sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds good. We kept the best, and we're going to use it for God. Um, sorry, God said destroy it. It's like, it's like people today who... You know, God said, don't get tattoos, but you get a lot of pastors today, they get tattoos of scripture, scripture here, scripture there. It's like, oh, well, uh, you know, see, I, I'm doing it for God. Um, No, doesn't work like that. If God said, don't do it, don't do it. 
I know all the different kind of I, I hear all kinds of different excuses and run around and be, be around the bush about that verse and that commandment. Let's not try to get as close to the edge of the cliff before, you know, let's try, let's not try to get as close as we can, but without falling off, let's try to stay away from it. So Saul here, out of his own selfish desire, he kept the best. In spite of the fact that God said sacrifice all, he kept the best and he made some excuse in his own mind. And he was probably, well, half well-meaning, <laughs> half decently well-meaning. He probably convinced himself that it was good. Well, I know God said destroy it all, but look at these beautiful sheep. I'm going to keep them because we're going to um, we're going to sacrifice them to God. That's it. That's it. Yeah, we're going to use it. We're going to use it for God. I think a lot of these Christian, so-called Christian celebrities that started out in the secular world, started out in bands or whatever the case is, where there was very, very secular, very, very evil, and then they somehow got saved, but they stayed in the band, and they still and they still sang the secular songs. It was like, yeah, now I'm a now I'm a celebrity for Jesus, but really you're not. Actually, you're worse now than you were before because now you're wearing the name of Christ and now you're still doing the old secular thing. You, well, yeah, I'm, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Again, it's not completely giving all. It's, it's, it's only, it's like 50%. I came to the Lord 50%. Like Saul, I sacrificed 50%. I can't sacrifice the rest because they're so good. But I can ex make an excuse that I, I'm going to use them to sacrifice to, to the Lord later. Actually, to be more precise, God did not say to sacrifice any of them to the Lord. God said, just, just kill them all. Don't let any of them live. Just wipe them all out. So Saul compromised. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. And Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, in other words, when you were humble, you were, you, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why, de why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Now, let me just stop here for a second, because it very well could be that Saul thought, yeah, it's a sin for me not to, you know, I've sinned. You know, I, I, I saw all these good sheep and all this good cattle and I coveted them. And, you know, I know that God 
said to, to destroy them all, but I didn't because I want them because they're, hmm, they're, they're, that's some good looking sheep there and, and cattle and all that kind of stuff. And Agog, king of the Amalekites, he seems to be pretty cool. I'll keep him. Um, and besides, he can probably benefit my kingdom. Um, and I know what I'll do. I'll just sacrifice to the Lord. I will just cover my sins with the blood of the lamb. I'll just take these sheep and the oxen and stuff and I'll just sacrifice it. I'll sacrifice them. I will, I will use that to pay for my sins. See where I'm going with this? And this is, this is the, this is the, this is what it is. You read it. That's, that's, that's the situation. Saul was like, I'm going to just sacrifice. I'm going to cover my sins with the very things that I'm supposed to sacrifice. I'm going to I'm going to cover my sins by sacrificing the sheep and the oxen because the blood is payment for the sin, right? Isn't that right? It covers my sin. God won't, you know, God won't look upon my sin. He won't punish me. He won't punish me. Verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on, on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took the plunder. And now he's blaming the people now. The people took the plunder, sheep and oxen and the best of the things, which, which should have been utterly destroyed. Now he's, he's, he's admitting it should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So we'll, we're, we're getting our cake and eat it too, right? We will, you know, we, we want it. We want the stuff, but. I know God said to destroy it. We want it, but hey, we can use this. We can well. We'll just sacrifice. We'll just we'll just shed the blood of the lamb, and, and that is that's going to cover us. Verse twenty-two. So Samuel said, "Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord?" What does that mean for us today? How does that translate into modern Christian language? Again, if Yeshua is the fulfillment of the sacrifice, then instead of saying sacrifice, you can say faith in, in Jesus. So in other words, you can, you, can, you can swap it out. You can say, has the Lord as great a delight in your faith in Jesus as in obeying him? In other words, do you think God has more pleasure in your faith in, in, in your faith in what Jesus did on the cross as in obeying him? In other words, there's, there's a dichotomy here. There's a choice here. You cannot have both. I mean, you cannot have you can't have um, your faith and not. Obey the voice of the Lord. 
You must, if you're having faith in Christ, you must obey him. He said many times, to love me is to obey me. You must obey the voice of the Lord. You must obey his instructions, his laws, his moral code, as it were. Now, here's the thing. A lot of Christians quote this, but they don't really understand what they're saying. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Again, how do we translate that into normal, like, uh, not normal, but um, modern Christian vernacular? How do you translate this into something? How do you translate this into something that is valid, not just valid, but meaningful today? To obey is better than just putting your faith in the finished work of the cross. To obey is better and and to heed than the fat of rams. Than, than the best of the sacrifice. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. So Saul was put in the position of choosing either obeying God or just putting his faith in the sacrifice. Not that you should always have a choice between the two. I mean, you should obey God and sacrifice as well. But it's very important to understand that if you have a choice, if you must either put your faith in the sacrifice or obey God, it's all about obeying God anyway. Why did Jesus die? He died to give us power to repent. He died to give us power to obey. He died so that we could die to sin, so that we could die to our disobedience. He died so that sin would die to us, that we would die to sin, so that we would live in obedience. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, hmm, where the good way is. Ancient words ever true. Right? Right? Changing me, changing you. Ask for the old paths. In other words, the modern way is not the good way. Ask ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But But they said, we will not walk in it. Also, I set a watchman over you. I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. That would be the sound of the shofar. 
And they said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words, nor my law, but rejected it. (sighs) Doesn't that that really describe the church today as a whole? Generally speaking, thank God there are some, there are, there is a remnant. There is a remnant of people around the world that does still walk in the true way. Few and far between, few and far between they are, but they do exist. However, for the, for the most part, those who identify themselves as being Christians and churchgoers, church, doesn't that really, doesn't that really describe them? Like, they have not heeded my words, nor my law, but rejected it. Yes, that's what they did. They rejected the law. They rejected the words of God for the, for the words of their pastor, for the words of their, evangel- their favorite evangelist, for the words of their statement of faith from their denomination. Verse 20, for what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba. Remember, frankincense is again for the incense, for the burning on the altar. A sweet cane from a far country. Your burnt offerings. Now, these are the animal sacrifices now. These are the animal sacrifices. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifice, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. Okay? That's powerful. Again, God is saying, yet once again, and and again, we can go through, there's a lot of places throughout scripture. If you read through the entire Tanakh yourself, you will come across it many, 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 many times. When God says, I am not, I do not um, accept your sacrifices. Finally, let's read Amos chapter 5. I'll get to your comments and your questions in just a minute. If you got any more comments or questions, just feel free to put them in the chat. Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. Verse 16. This is a powerful one. Very powerful. Therefore the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this, there shall be wailing in all all streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas. They shall, call, they shall call the farmer to mourning and skillful lamenters to wailing. In all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Again, the day of the Lord here is not Sunday. Okay, it's not Sunday. The day of the Lord is the day of judgment. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. 
it will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. In other words, you're damned if you do, damned if you do. It doesn't matter what you do, you're getting it. As though he went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. In other words, everything's going wrong, is what God's saying. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? Now, again, what does it mean by very dark? It's, not, it's it, you know, it could be talking about literally dark, yes, but not just literally dark, but also figuratively dark, dark emotionally, dark spiritually. Verse 21, I hate, I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Again, how would this, how can we apply this today? He's talking about, okay, in today's language, in church, churchy, uh, churchianity, churchese, speaking in Christianese, it said, what God's saying here is, I hate, I despise your church programs, your special little church days that you have out for yourselves. I, I despise that. I do not savor your church meetings. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Again, if Jesus is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system, what God is saying here is, though you offer me faith in Yeshua, faith in Jesus, faith in the, in the finished work of the cross, I will not accept it nor will I regard your fatted peace offerings. In other words, no matter what you give me, your faith, whatever kind of, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to regard it. Verse 23, take away from me the noise of your songs. I don't want to hear you singing your hymns. I don't want to hear, hing, I don't want to hear you singing your CCM, your con contemporary Christian music. I don't want to hear you singing your praise choruses. I don't want to hear any of your, your praise team at church. I don't want to hear it. Take it away from me, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water. Again, this word justice in the Hebrew is speaking about righteousness. Do what is right according to God. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying here. Do what is right according to God. Let it run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Wow. Wouldn't that be awesome to see righteousness running, like justice according to God's definition of justice and righteousness according to the word of God running down like water, like a muddy stream coming out of church today? Wouldn't that be awesome? That reminds me of, uh, this is an awesome thing. This is an awesome thing about Alexis de Tocqueville. This is way back in the, what was it, 1700s? So he traveled from France to America, what, trying to figure out what, how, how, how is it, what, what makes America so great? Alexis de Tocqueville. This is what he wrote. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and in her ample rivers. And it was not there. In other words, the greatness of America was not, is not because of her uh, commodious harbors or her ample rivers. 
in her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. So it's not because of, you know, the, um, what do you call it, uh, the um, agriculture. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. That's not what made America great. In her democratic Congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. That's not really what made America great. Not until, not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. That's what the church should be. It should be the reason why a nation is blessed. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Again, back in those days, salt was, the primary purpose of salt was not for taste. It wasn't sensual. Okay? Salt was used to preserve things. Like how we just read the old paths, the ancient ways, the, the ancient ways of God. Ancient words ever true. And this is why every problem in America today, I blame on the church. I really do. Because the church should have been the salt to preserve America from going bad, from going corrupt. And as Yeshua, even Jesus said himself, if the salt has lost its saltiness. It's good for nothing. But to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of men. That's the words of Jesus. Good for nothing. Um, we need churches that have righteousness. As Alexis de Tocqueville says here, the righteousness, the we need churches like this. In his, in his words, pulpits flame, burning with righteousness. That's what we need. Back to Amos chapter 5, verse 24. But let her justice run down like water and, and righteousness like a mighty stream. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried Sukkoth. All right, Sukkoth is, um, here we got here, is Tabernacle of Molech. Right? Molech is a, uh, is a picture of abortion. That's what it is. Your king and Chiun, uh, your idols, okay? It's, again, it's a pagan deity in the footnotes. The star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. In other words, God, God said himself, uh, he will punish them with captivity. He will send them out as exiles, captivity beyond Damascus. This is a great punishment. But yet... They sacrificed for 40 years. They offered sacrifices for 40 years. But, but why didn't God accept those sacrifices? 
because they still sinned. They still sinned while they were, you know, during those 40 years, they were still sinning. They didn't repent. That's the whole thing behind it, right? Bottom line is this. Blood is one of the means of atonement. But as we've seen clearly tonight, it certainly isn't something that you can use in any circumstance to pay for your sin. Many, many places throughout the scriptures we've read in the past over an hour now, we've been reading about how God has rejected their, their blood sacrifices. Because the blood, because they, keep, they, they didn't repent. Uh, let me just wrap it up with Ezekiel again, chapter 18. And I know this is something I talk about a lot. And I, and I do believe that it's something that is so overlooked, misunderstood. <sighs> so overlooked and misunderstood. So starting with verse 19, Ezekiel 18, verse 19. Um, okay, let, let's just go to uh, the New King James to make it a little bit, little bit more of an easier read here. Uh, this is God speaking again. This is God speaking. Yet you say, why should the Son not bear the guilt of the Father? Okay, so, so the question is, like, can the Father die for the son or can the son die for the father right because we got a couple of people of course we got like amongst the family members uh, we had a parent and a child i mean the love between a parent and a child is very very strong a lot of parents would die for their children right and so the question is can a parent die for his children child right can you if you're a parent die for your child can a child die for the parent can someone can you take the punishment of sin upon yourself instead of the one that you love? If the one that you love has sinned and is worthy of punishment, can you step in there and say, oh Lord, punish me instead. Let me die instead and let the other one live. Now remember, as we read this, live means eternal life. It means salvation. Die means basically eternal death, living in a state, existing in a state of eternal death like hell, okay? Um, I know that might be hard for some people to fathom, but that's, as even Paul said, I believe it's in the book of Ephesians, where it's like you who were dead in your sins. So there, there are people who are physically alive. I mean, they have all of their vital signs, you know, they have, you know, they're alive but they're dead. If they go to the doctor, their doctor can say, oh yeah, I mean, you're healthy, you're, you're alive. But according to God, they're dead. They're dead in their sins. That's death. You die in that state, you die in a state of eternal death. You don't, you don't have eternal life. So, 
Is it possible for, for a parent to die for, the, for a child? In other words, take the punishment of sin for, for a child or vice versa. So that's the question. So God says, yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right, and he has kept all my statutes and observed them, he shall surely live. In other words, the son will live because he has obeyed God, right? In other words, the son has eternal life. The son has salvation. Remember how in the Protestant circles, they use that um, Hosea, Hosea, or Habakkuk, excuse me, um, the passage that says, the just shall live by faith, okay? So the, the, the idea is, by faith you will, quote unquote, live, meaning you will have eternal life, meaning you will, you're saved by faith, okay? But this here is talking about, li- in the same way, live is talking about eternal life, it's talking about salvation. The son has done what is lawful and right, and has kept my statutes, and observed them, he shall surely live. Now, obvious, obviously here, God is talking about his son who has obeyed him fully. Don't believe anybody who tells you, well, nobody can obey all the law, all the statutes, all that stuff. Nobody can obey them. Well, yes, they can. Of course, a lot of the laws doesn't apply to everyone. So, you know, those laws are not applicable. So, you know, they're not counted. But like people like um, Zechariah and Elizabeth, for example, in, in, in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 6, it says they were both, both righteous. Righteous. Don't say that no one is righteous. There's none righteous, no, not one. Um, it's a mistranslation of a misquote of an. Uh, Paul quoted from the book of Psalms, which wasn't a really good quote. It wasn't an accurate quote. And then there was the mistranslation of that, which says there's none righteous. Hundreds of times throughout the Bible, God speaks about righteous people. Hundreds of times. And this is one thing that God says here, like, because the Son has done what is lawful and right. He has kept all my statutes and observed them. He shall surely live. This is the perfect place for God to say, oh, um, you know what? Uh, Nobody can obey all my statutes anyway, so eh, you're all in the same boat. Eh, You know, you're you're all going to (laughs) die. Or you're all going to, you know, you all need to, you know, sacrifice uh, to uh, have blood cover your sins. Uh, You know, this is a perfect place for God to say that. He had all the time and he, he, he had the opportunity here to say that. But that's not what he said because that's not the truth. The truth is there are people that can keep all the statutes. As again, as it even it even sat in the so-called New Testament, Luke chapter one verse six, they both Zechariah and Elizabeth both were they were both righteous, walking in all all a l l. Check your Bible, all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. God's not a tyrant that he would bark out commands to his beloved people that they cannot obey and then curse them for not obeying them. It's not that's not the way he is. Oh, but the law is just there to to teach us, to show us that we're sinners. Uh, No, that's not what God said either. God said that the law is there to bless you so that it would go well with you, so that it it would provide guidelines and instructions for life for you, so that you can avoid a lot of cursing, curses, and problems in life, in this life and the next life. 
So the son will not die for the sin of the father because the son has done what is lawful and right and kept all the statutes and observed them. He shall surely live. Here's the, here's the key thing right here. Here it is right here. The soul who sins shall die. Not, oh, someone else will die for them. Not, oh, don't worry about it. You're, you, 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 you sinned, uh, somebody else will die for you. Uh, excuse me. It's not what it says. The soul who, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Translated that into a little bit more of a modern, you know, uh, what do you call it, common language today. It means the righteous, if you're righteous, you will, you will reap the rewards of righteousness. You will. Not anybody else, not your neighbor, not your dad, not your son. You will. If you are a sinner, if you're wicked, you will reap, you will reap the reward of wickedness. You will be responsible for that. Not your father, not your son, not your neighbor, not your cousin. You. You're responsible for your righteousness and you're responsible for your wickedness. That's basically what it means. Verse 21. But if a wicked man, here's the big one right here. Here it is. Here's the gospel. Here's the gospel, folks. Here's the gospel. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed, what's that mean? It means he stops doing it. Keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right. He shall surely live. He shall not die. And this is, this is, a, this is really good right here. This is really good, guys. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Oh, that's beautiful. That's awesome. That sounds like that sounds like the Billy Graham gospel, doesn't it? Come forward and say the sinner's prayer, and none of the sins that you've ever committed will be held against you. You are covered. That's what it says here. If you turn from your sins, that's the eternal word of God. That's the gospel. Remember, it says in the gospels, talk about gospel, the gospels, especially the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The first thing that Jesus preached was the, was the gospel. He, re, he preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's that's a summary. That's that's a nutshell version of Deuteronomy 30. You want some homework? You want to do some studying, your own personal studying? Read, study, not just read. I'm talking about re read, reread, reread, and well, uh, ruminate, ruminate on Deuteronomy chapter 30. You will see that. The expression "repent for the kingdom of heaven is at, is at hand." That is a that is Deuteronomy thirty in a nutshell. Why would the first word out of Jesus' lips be "repent"? 
have preached the Billy Graham, the, the Billy Graham gospel. Why didn't he? He preached repent. Why in the book of Mark, the first, when, when, when the disciples went out to preach the gospel, they didn't preach the modern day corrupted, corrupt Christian gospel. They preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why did they do that? Why was that the first message they preached? Why was it? In the book of Acts, the first sermon that was preached by Peter, repentance, all the way through to the, the, the end of book, the, the book of Acts. We got Paul in the latter part of the book of Acts. He said, God commands, commands. It's a commandment in the so-called, in the New Testament. It's a command. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Why would he say that? Not only was it the first word, uh, the first the first message of Jesus, it was the last message to his church in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3. Over and over and over and over and over again, Jesus said, repent. His first words, his last words. What more can I say? It's all about that. Why? Because that's the mess. Because if you repent of your sins, means you turn from your sins, which means I, 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 I was walking on the, on the road of destruction. I was walking uh, in a sinful lifestyle. I have stopped. I have done a 180. I've turned around and I've walked towards the Lord. Now I've, I've, I've called on God. I've turned my life completely over to the Lord. I've sacrificed everything, unlike Saul. I've sacrificed everything. Now I'm walking with God, not walking in sin. I've turned away from sin. And now because of that, God's word becomes true. None of the transgressions that I have ever committed will be remembered against me. God looks at me as if I have always, always kept his commandments. I am clean. I have always walked in his Torah 100%. The slate is clean. None of the transgressions which he has committed will be remembered against me. Against him because of the righteousness, he shall live. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Don't forget, this is the same so-called age. Please, get this. This is the same, quote-unquote, age in which it says, the just shall live by faith. So, a lot of Christians, they cherry-pick. They cherry pick the just shall live by faith. See, see, it says the just shall live by faith. That means it's only by faith, right? Faith alone. That's when we, we get saved. We get eternal life by faith alone, right? No, no. Uh, don't cherry pick scripture. Take it all. Yes, it's by faith. By the way, that word faith in the Hebrew also means faithfulness, which also means faithfully walking in the commands of God. Faithfully walking in the instructions of God. And because you've done that, you will live. And that is completely in tune with what it says here. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Because he has faithfully, 
By faith, he has faithfully walked in the righteousness of the Lord. He shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord, and not that he should turn? So it's all about turn from his ways and live. But when a righteous man turns, but when a righteous man, now here's the other side of the coin, right? This is the other side of the coin. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity. In other words, you got to, let's say, for example, you've got a holy man of God. He's a holy man of God. All his life, he's lived a holy life. But then in the last year of his life, he turned in, he, he changed. And he became, he lived more like a sinner and not so much like a holy man. He turned away from his righteousness and he committed iniquity. So when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that a wicked man does, shall he live? In other words, hey, if I've spent, if I've spent like 89 years living a holy life and I just spent the last year of my life, you know, you know, walking in the abominations of sin, uh, you know, what then? What then? I mean, hey, it's like, you know, it's a, a, the vast majority of my life I live righteous. What? So what? It says here, all the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered. But because of the unfaithfulness, again, this is the opposite of faith, unfaithfulness uh, of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed because of them, he shall die. So it's like this. It's like this. Your present spiritual state is what counts. If you are in presently, if you are presently in a, in the position of walking with God, you have your, you turned your back on sin. You're walking with God. You're pursuing him. If that's your present position, None of the sin in your past will be held against you. God doesn't see it. But if the opposite is true, if your present state right now, if that 90-year-old man who lived 89 years of his life living holy, if, if his present state is that of iniquity and sinfulness, if he's living a, a sinful lifestyle right now, none of the righteousness in his past, past will be held, will be rewarded to him at all. God will look at him as if he's always lived all the all of his life as a sinner, and vice versa. So, your present state is what really counts. You see, the the Pharisees of Jesus' day did not understand that. They did not understand that. That's the reason why they accused. Jesus of being a friend of sinners. He wasn't a friend of sinners. He was a friend of ex-sinners. He was the right. Think about this for a minute. The most holy man that ever lived, the man to whom even the apostle Peter himself bowed down and said, Lord, get away from me. I'm too much of a sinner. This is the apostle Peter. You cannot approach a man like that. the way that Mary Magdalene approached him or Peter approached him or any other sinner approached him without first repenting of your sins. There's no way. The people that ran across, the, 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 the people that, that, that had in, in, an encounter with Jesus, 
that were unrepentant are the ones he rebuked. The Pharisees, especially. By and large, the Pharisees were the ones he condemned as sinners, hypocrites. So the Pharisees condemned Jesus as being a friend of sinners, but who were sinners according to Jesus? It wasn't the ex-sinner. It wasn't Mary Magdalene or Peter. Because all of their sins in their past have been completely wiped clean because of their repentance. They came to the Lord in repentance. They were not counted as sinners anymore. They were counted as saints. The sinners were the, were the people that Jesus rebuked. The Pharisees, the, the hypocritical Pharisees. Was Jesus a friend of sinners? The reason why they accused him of being a friend of sinners is because they knew that he shouldn't be a friend of sinners according to the law of God, according to the instructions of the Tanakh, according to the instructions of the Word of God. You're not supposed to be hanging around with sinners. You're not supposed to be fellowshipping with them, right? Now, I know that Yeshua said, well, you know, um, as a doctor, you know, heals the sick, so I'm, you know, I, I don't come for the righteous. I come for the sinners to call them to repentance. Again, to call them to repentance. Not to hang with them. Not to fellowship with them, but rather to call them to repentance, to heal them of their sins so that they won't be sinners anymore, but saints. Was Jesus a friend of sinners? Did he hang out with the Pharisees a lot? Were, his, were the Pharisees his best friends? Because the Pharisees the hypocritical Pharisees, at least, they are the ones whom Jesus said were sinners, not the other ones, because they've repented. They've repented of their sin, therefore, God doesn't see their sin anymore. Jesus didn't see their sin anymore. But the Pharisees didn't understand that. They always held Mary Magdalene's past against her. Maybe even Peter's past against him. Who knows? And other people, they didn't, they didn't see, they didn't understand how repentance works. Don't be like how the Pharisees were. Don't be like the Pharisees. Understand how repentance works. When you look at a man, maybe he spent 50 years of his life in a dirty, filthy, rotten, stinking, sinning lifestyle. Maybe now he's not a sinner. Maybe now he has repented. Don't count his sins against him. Don't bring up, don't dig up the past. Because God doesn't. Ezekiel 18.25, Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, which is fair in your ways which are not fair. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he has committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. And again, this is not talking about biological life. This is talking about spiritual life. The life of the, the, life, the world to come, you know, heaven. 
Verse 28, because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he has committed, he shall surely live and he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. In other words, how dare you let these people get away with what they've got, they got away with? Oh, don't you know what they've done in the past? How can you let them get away with that? Lord says, hey, I'm the one that's fair here. You're not fair. You're, not, you're the one that's not fair. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. Oh, house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn, turn, that means change, turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the, the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Powerful. That's powerful. That's powerful. Okay, so let's see what we got here in the comments. Uh, the Great Deception says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Great to see you. Welcome, as always. Yes, the Great Deception says, Sacrifice was also for food, the people and the priests. Yes, uh, absolutely for sure. I, I make that very clear many, many times. Uh, many, many, many times throughout my live streams, I've made that very clear. However, tonight we're talking about specifically sacrifice for sin. Uh, fear Yahuwah and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man. Yes, absolutely. Anomianism, like the Nicolaitans. Yes, for those of you who don't know, Anomianism. Anomians are those who live uh, against the, the, the Torah, right? And that's basically the law or the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Like you can do, you know, you're, you're covered. You're covered. Uh, you can do whatever you want. Uh, for those of you who are interested in looking up a little bit more about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, check out Theopedia, Theopedia, and check out Nicolaitan, Nicolaitans under that. Very interesting. Um, I believe to take his name in vain is saying you're his, but don't walk as he walked. WWJD, do that. Yes. What would Jesus do? He obeyed Torah, right? He obeyed the law of God. He obeyed the law of his father. And uh, if we really believe in him, and this is the thing, right? A lot of Christians don't know what it means to believe in Jesus. They think it's just some mental ascension of some historical facts. No, no, no. To believe in Jesus is to believe in a Jewish rabbi. Remember, he was a Jewish rabbi. To believe in him means you, you, you believe in what he, what he taught. You believe in his teachings. By the way, his teachings are diametrically opposed to a lot of Christians' teachings today, especially in regards to salvation. People came to him time and time again and said, how do we get saved? And he says, well, obey the commandments. That's what he said. Time and time again. To believe in Jesus is to believe that. 
to believe what he teaches. You can't say that you believe in Jesus if you reject that. That's like saying, I believe in a teacher, but I don't believe what he teaches. It doesn't make sense. Uh, and, and another thing, too, is to believe in Jesus means to walk as he walked, to take his example, to do it what he would do, WWJD. What would Jesus do? He would obey the commandments. He kept the Father's commandments exactly. Who has the right to enter the new Jerusalem? Those with the testimony of Yeshua to keep Yahuwah's commandments. Yes, absolutely. Yeremiahu uh, reminds me of Yeshua and the narrow path. Yes. And the great deception. Hallelujah. Jeff says, love and shalom, friends. Love and shalom to you. Good to see you. Welcome. Paulina says, there are many examples of disobedience in the Bible. Oh, yes, there are. It reminded me of the sin of Achan in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. The Israelites were, de were defeated in the city of Ai, or Ai. Um, an interesting little tidbit about that whole thing. This is interesting because, you know, today Christians, you know, they pray, you know, they, they, they believe God, they do all these things, and, and it's like, if something really happens, if their prayer is really answered, they're like, they're surprised. They're surprised, right? They're like, oh, God really heard me. But, you know, in the book of Joshua, in that particular story, in Achan, in the story of Achan and that, it's like, it was normal for God to always hear their prayers and for God to always give them the victory. And they were shocked when they lost. It's like, oh, we lost. What happened? What happened? They were shocked. It's like the opposite, right? Where today, people are shocked if they get victory in the Lord, right? They, God gave me the victory. Hallelujah. I'm shocked, right? So that's the thing. We need to kind of, we need to change our perspective, right? A lot of Christians need to change our perspective and be more like, hey, you know, we expect, you know, we expect to be on the winning side all the time. And if something happens, something wrong happens, then we're surprised. We should be surprised. Hey, what happened? What's going on? Why did, why did we lose this battle? What's happening here? Yeah. And there are many, many examples of disobedience in the Bible. Absolutely. is the, the whole Tanakh is just full of the ups and downs of the children of Israel, the Israelites. And they're obeying and being blessed and they're sliding into corruption and disobeying and being punished for it. Passover and unleavened bread is next. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we're looking forward to that, isn't it? That's, that's awesome. Very interesting. I would have healed Babylon, but she would not. Great Deception says on YouTube, the Ruach HaKodesh, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with this, that means the Holy Spirit, uh, put on my heart in 93 to keep the Sabbath. I asked many, pastor, many pastors, why, we, well, why don't we keep the fourth commandment? Never got a good answer. Much mocking 
Took me seven years to finally break free from peer pressure. Hallelujah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's, you've been walking, uh, I mean, sounds like you've been walking there on that path almost 30 years. Hallelujah. Amen. Then I began to learn more of the Torah. Yes. Yeah. Really like your channel. Great. Welcome. Glad you enjoy it. Be blessed. Buy the truth and sell it not. Amen. Yeah, Zechariah and Elizabeth kept them. Hallelujah. For those of you who are listening, I know that uh, I'm, I am also getting this uh, live live stream post as podcasts after the fact. So if you're listening through a podcast, what I'm doing here right now is I'm just reading through the comments on on YouTube. Trying try not to spam your chat. I'm no problem. No problem. Hey, I know you know you, you get you, you get excited and uh, you you want to share. You know, for those of you who, if you if you are distracted by a lot of comments, you know, uh, you know, uh, um, there is the option too of just just closing the live chat as well. Um, Repentance is to stop. That's right. Stop doing what you're doing. That's that's really what repentance is. Repentance is not regret. It's not remorse. You can re, you can repent without even without even you know shedding tears. You know what I mean? Um, there are a lot of people. And the, the other you know the opposite is true as well. There's there are people they can they can cry they can cry a river and still not repent. Look at um, Esau. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, he sought repentance with tears, grown man crying, tears, crying, but he could not get repentance. He could not find repentance. He could not find the change that he wanted to, that he wanted to see. He did not change. He could not change. So repentance is change. It's not emotion. The Great Deception says, I think Deuteronomy 28, prophecy from Moshe, when you begin to call on my name and keep my commands, I will gather you from the four corners of the earth. It's happening now. Yes, it is. Yeah. Thomas says, James 2.24, man is justified by his works and not by faith alone. Yeah, the only the only place in the entire Bible that has the, the phrase faith alone, it says not faith alone. <laughs> it, it's in a way it's funny, in a way it's sad because it's like a lot of things that Christians believe is the op is the ex exact opposite to what the Bible actually says. Yet these people claim to be going by the Bible, right? Like it says, you're justified by what you do and not by faith alone. And what do what do the Christians do? They go, we're justified by faith alone. Oh, okay. It's like Yeshua said, do not think. Think not that I've come to abolish the law. What do Christians say? He came to abolish the law. <sighs> what can you say? What can you do? Yeah, I see Thomas. I actually pointed that out later as well. The only place you will find the words faith and alone, yes, side by side. Thomas says, unless your, your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of God. Now, see, a lot of Christians, they 
they use that to try to sell their, they, they try to propagate their selling point of, oh, it's impossible to, to obey the Torah. It's impossible to obey the law of God. Oh, you know, it's impossible. You can't do it on yourself because, you know, the Pharisees, this, this, is, what the, this is what Christians say, right? Not all Christians, but a lot of Christians. They say, the Pharisees, they're the most holiest people ever. Like they, they knew the Torah more than anybody else and they obeyed the Torah more than anybody else. See, see, even they, could, they couldn't get into the kingdom of heaven, uh, or the kingdom of God. God by their obedience. And, and unless your righteousness exceeds that of them, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. <sighs> the fact of the matter is, the truth is, the Pharisees were like the worst of the sinners. Read what, what Jesus said about what they do. Like they are horrible people taking advantage of uh, putting bur burdens on people, extra burdens on people, you know, um, taking advantage of the of the uh, the weak and the lonely and the and the elderly. Um, lots of things they do, uh, like lots of sinful things they do. Hypocrites. They were very very bad people. It's not. It wasn't. It's. It's not hard, at all to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. In fact, I think even my neighbor's dog exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. Let me put it that way. It's not hard at all. Yeah, Thomas says, uh, repent lest you perish. That's what Yeshua said. The Torah is over man's traditions according, the, according to the great deception. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Vinny says, in Deuteronomy 28, curses on disobedience outnumber the blessings on obedience. 14 verses for blessings, 54 verses for curses. Yes, that is that is a good point. That is amazing as well. Uh, just goes to show us uh, how serious it is, you know, to uh, to walk in line with with the Word of God, to walk in line with the Torah. And um, I think that the, the reason why, at least one of the reasons why that there's like what four times four times as many verses of curses than there are blessings because God wants us to fear him God wants us to fear him the fear of God is all but not even existence especially in the western world thomas says it shouldn't be what would jesus do but what did jesus do Wow, this is a powerful one too. Proverbs 28, verse 9. Those who turn their ear from the law, even their prayers are an abomination. Ah, ouch. That's an that's 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 a hard one, right? And Thomas references Matthew verse 5, or chapter 5, excuse me, verses 17 to 19. Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law. JC says, awesome teaching. Thank you, Christopher. Shalom, everyone. Thank you for joining us, JC. Blessings multiplied to you, brother. Many blessings multiplied to you. Okay, guys, that's it for tonight. Tomorrow, we're going to continue with our study of Leviticus. I know tonight was a, we didn't, we didn't get a whole, 
lot read in Leviticus, but something that we really needed to focus in on was that whole thing about the sacrifices and the blood, um, seeing that a lot of Christians put a lot of emphasis on Leviticus 17. I think it's very important for us to to uh, have a good understanding of, uh, of the context of it. Yes, Thomas says, uh, 1 John 3, 4 says, sin is the transgression of the law. Yes, that's the definition of sin. Someone might say, what is sin? Well, anything that's against the law of God, anything that's against the word of God is sin. Anything that it violates the Torah is sin. Absolutely. Okay, so tomorrow night, Lord willing, tomorrow night, Lord willing, same place, same time, 7 p.m. Eastern, we'll be back here picking up where we left off, going through the scriptures and talking about it and fellowshipping. Uh, As always, it's been an awesome evening with you guys. Be blessed. And um, thanks again for your questions and your comments. And the Lord bless you. And um, bring to remembrance the things that we've been talking about so you can think about it, meditate on it, pray about it, ruminate on it. You know, as it says in the scriptures, right? That's a command. Too. That's a command too to ru- to ruminate, to meditate on the the word of God. Amen. Amen. So one John two twenty six says, "Thanks, Christopher, and good night. Thank you very much." One John two twenty six. Good night. And yeah, Pharisees loved the traditions of men, not the Torah. Yes. Okay, guys. I see you tomorrow night. Until next time, as always, I pray that each one of you would be blessed. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.